$58 a barrel. Don't call it a comeback here on Industry Focus. Hey everybody, I'm Mark Reith here with Nathan Wallingsford, Tyler Crow, and apparently I missed the memo about sweaters and collared shirts. I'm sorry about that. You guys look so Would dapper Would you read today. your emails in the morning? <laughs> we matched each other my last God. week. I'm really sorry about that, guys. It's, it's totally my bad. $58 a barrel. All of Wall Street, they took the Woo! champagne, they went out on the street, started popping. It's a celebration. Here we go. Is this the end of the dip? Are we coming it back? Is this it? So first, let's take a look at what's kind of behind this short-term price movement, mm -hmm. okay? So you have prices down over 50% since last June, and if you've been watching oil prices within the last couple of days, you probably have some whiplash right now, right? It's a little bit of an ebb and flow, up and down. Um, so what's really driving it, okay? You have, over the last three days, oil prices up 20%. Um, but then again, you have energy stocks that are kind of going along with that just on that single price movement. Um, so you get this stop and go traffic, but really if you look at the short term, uh, we have Big Oil who reported last week a lot of capital spending cuts mm -hmm. um, that are going on. So investors are kind of feeling good about that in terms of uh, shoring up you know, some of this oil supply that's out there right now. Um, you know, you also have traders who are perhaps covering their short positions, uh, you know, thinking that oil prices were to decline even more so now that, you know, having to buy back some of that, uh, some of that stock so they can cut some of their losses there. But mm -hmm. if you look at the long-term fundamentals, um, you still have, like I said, that surplus of oil on the market right now, 1.5 million to 2 million barrels of oil per day um, that are still out there right now. So it's going to take some time for that to kind of level off and for oil prices to stabilize, I think. Um, you also have the U.S. refining strike that's you know, just kicking off, the largest one since 1980 right now. So a lot of concerns over that, too, what's going to play out. Yeah. So I think this is a, more of a short-term hiccup and a, a little glimpse into um, what may be to come further. Okay. There is certainly nothing more fun than watching financial media and analysts make these calls about three weeks ago about how they were putting down uh, futures positions at $30, $20 a barrel on how it could go even further, and they don't know where the bottom is. And then yesterday they all come out and be like, yeah, $60 sounds about right. Easy. And uh, then everything goes right back up and everybody starts showing all these technical charts of the price of oil with things like the Christmas tree of death or some other crap like that. Hey, it just, hey the Christmas tree of death is a very, real very thing. Important. <laughs> How dare you? It, like, I watch some of these media shows and I swear they're just like sacrificing a chicken at fr in front of the t uh, on a desk and then figuring out where, where oil prices are going to go from there. Hmm. The, the short term reality is, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Yes, capital expenditures are getting cut. Uh, we have a sur, but there is a surplus. It's going to take a while. It's not going to jump seven, ten percent like it did in a single day yesterday. Right. Investors need to be patient, and don't be surprised if it drops another seven percent in the next couple of days, because that's just what happens. Madness. Oil. Who needs it, right? No. Right. Just everybody. Well, everyone needs oil, and everyone is talking about Keystone Pipeline, uh, the, the pipeline that's going to bring a whole bunch of oil to the United States. Or is it, mm. Tyler? Oh, I, my favorite, favorite subject. Oh, politics and finance. What, what gets better than that? There, aside from watching financial media, one of the great joys I've had mm. of doing this job for the last couple of years has been throwing tomatoes at every single assumption or declarative statement that people have made about the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, yesterday, the EPA came out with a letter kind of conf confirming their stance on why it shouldn't be built, uh, looking at the State Department's issue on climate change, how much carbon emissions that the Keystone XL is going to uh, produce. Mm -hmm. 
basically what they said is it could be the equivalent of about seven coal plants per year of carbon production. Ouch. Which, you know, you can say is a scientific fact. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm completely okay with you saying that. However, you have to tell us the assumptions that you make to get to that number. Okay. And that's when those numbers really start to look about really funny. And so there were, when I, I read through the whole thing on prices, carbon, all that stuff, there are three major assumptions that I look at it and go, really? Hmm. This is how you want to do it? So the first one on this carbon thing, um, they basically said that that seven and a half carbon or coal plant equivalent of carbon emissions is basically taking the worst case scenario of oil sands production in Canada, basically saying the most pollutive version of that, the, the company that just doesn't give a care in the world about how much carbon they're polluting. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be the major supply, the only supplier for the Keystone XL. Whereas the comparative crude, basically the one that it's supposed to replace, that Keystone XL, is going to be oil from Venezuela from the most ecologically conscious company out there in Venezuela. Mm. So if you believe that the most pollutive company in Canada mm -hmm. and the most ecologically responsible company in Venezuela are going to be the one that you actually have to make the comparison about, then yes, that is a scientific fact. Yeah, That's what you're going to get at. Yeah, makes sense. Go with the extremes. So totally. that is the extreme that we're dealing with. Mm. And to even bring that into a broader term, this is about 800,000 barrels per day of oil. The United States processes about 16 million barrels a day of oil. So when you kind of throw all of that in together, it would change on that maximum assumption. It would change the carbon intensity of the oil industry by 0.44%. My God. My God. <laughs> and, you know, there are even some instances where it's 0.001% if you were to kind of use the more cleaner version of Canada and the more polluted version of Venezuela. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got that assumption. So that is the biggest one that I look at and go, come on. <laughs> Second one. Basically what they say is that America is the center of the universe and if America doesn't use this oil, nobody else will. That makes sense. It based, it, what they say is if Keystone isn't built, all of the other uneconomical means of getting it here by rail or anything like that will make it the market constrained and there won't be production of oil sands, therefore saving the world less carbon production. Sure. Really? Really? <laughs> like this That's stuff isn't going to make it to China. <laughs> this stuff isn't going to make it to India. It, it just really doesn't make a whole lot of it's sense. America or nothing, Tyler. So you've got those two things, which really kind of look funny. And then there's the last one where it says, oil is cheap, we don't need it anymore. So they're going on the assumption that, yes, oil is $50 now. And uh, it's 58. 58, sorry. Yeah, so, come on. We, yeah. we had a big rally yesterday. Yeah, huge. So you know, we're looking at that and saying, okay, that means that they're saying that it's going to be $50 in perpetuity mm. forever and ever and ever, and we will never need the Keystone XL pipeline. Makes sense. Again, really? <laughs> so we've had so many of these just broad assumptions on why it should be done on one side, on uh, climate change and all these other things we just mm -hmm. talked about. Then on the other side, you've had the advocates for jobs and stuff like that, and their assumptions are absolutely ridiculous too. So if you want to really understand this whole thing. You actually have to go in and look at the assumptions these people are making right. because some of them are the most ridiculous things that we've ever heard. Okay, so all that being said, what's the future of the Keystone Pipeline? Is someone, I got to imagine someone in the President's Cabinet is looking at this the same way you are and saying, Mr. President, come on, come on. There's, there's that uh -huh. and then there's also the 
eh, we can score some political points. That's pretty much what I think it's right. all going to come down to is it's been like this for years. It's been just who can it's win this because it's a political a point. Yeah. You know, we've, we already have a ton of Canadian crude already coming down here through pipeline, through rail. I don't think it really matters. Okay. Well, I'm glad we spent five minutes talking about that then. Jeez, yeah. it doesn't really matter. No, 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 it, it does matter. Uh, and that's, that's fascinating. It's going to be fun to watch what happens there. Uh, okay, last but not least, uh, Petrobras is in the news today for all the wrong reasons. Tyler came over to me today and told me that the Petrobras CEO and several high-level executives there resigned. He used the quotation marks. Right. I asked him not to tell me why he used the quotation marks. <laughs> Nathan, what's going on at Petrobras? So there's been a scandal that's been in the news for a uh, pretty long time now. And so uh, Petrobras CEO, who just resigned, mm. uh, and, a, and a couple other executives at the uh, high-level management um, basically resigned because the scandal include uh, kickbacks that they were getting from suppliers uh, to Petrobras. So basically these suppliers went in, uh, bribed these executives, and said, hey, you know, we'll give you uh, drilling supplies and other things uh, in return for, you know, just to have the business and get the proceeds off of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so what was happening was these suppliers allegedly were sending kickbacks to the now resigned officials. Hey, you were very uh, good at this. Yeah, I, I practiced the air quotes no, before nice, I came in nice. here. So, um, so that's kind of what's going on. But kind of uh, another element to it is, um, you know, uh, Brazil's president, um, Dilma Rousseff, served as chairman of Petrobras during this time that they're investigating from 2003 uh -oh. to 2010. Right, so there's a little bit more spice to the story than just, you know, a couple of executives that are resigning right now. Um, but really, when you look at, um, you know, the next CEO that they're going to tag for this, um, something that the president had said was that, you know, we want to find someone who has the industry experience um, and not someone who's necessarily tied to the political. Uh, realm within Brazil, yeah. um, but it's been rumored that the front runner was actually the former um, president of the Central Bank of Brazil, oh, good. Uh, Enrique Morales, I believe Absolutely is his no name. Absolutely no political tie. Yeah, so I mean that's, that's totally a perfect fit, you know. Well, I have a, I, so I, I don't pretend to be an expert on Petrobras, but my understanding is it's a state-sponsored oil company. It's intrinsically tied to politics. Uh, should I, as an investor, is that going to scare me away? Because it seems like when the president of a country is also going to be the president of the oil company, is also going to be the bank, biggest banker in the country. I mean, should I be a little afraid of something like that? It is very, very tempting to look at Petrobras as a stock. I will even admit, when I first started looking at it a while ago, I said, yeah, this looks really interesting. They're going to have a ton of oil production growth because of those massive oil fields that they have. Right. Uh, it's got a built-in supply base with the entire country of Brazil going on. But there are just so many wacky things. Because of that, You know, it straddles the line between a state-owned oil company that is about <coughs> energy security mm -hmm. versus the private company that wants to make returns for shareholders. Right. It has to balance that out. I actually, I, I'm a little slightly sad to see uh, the CEO, Maria de Grasa Silva Foster, leave. Uh, because of, you know, despite of all this political kickback stuff like that, uh, in her tenure they had gone through this massive co uh, cost-cutting program and actually made it look like it was going to be a profitable company. Mm -hmm. You know, they cut, they slashed several billion dollars off of their operating budgets and was starting to really turn the corner and then all of a sudden this, you know, the scandal really started to hit hard and then you went, oh shucks. Um, but when you look at it, you've got this, that, that obscure thing of what direction are they going to go in? Are they looking at it to make sure that everybody in Brazil has cheap gasoline to prevent inflation from going too high? Or are you actually looking at it from the perspective of a company that uh, 
is supposed to make a return for you. Mm. And there's just so many difficult things you've got going on with that one. You've got $100 billion of US uh, debt denominated in US dollars when they make all their revenue in Brazilian reis, and so you've got foreign exchange exposure, you've got all these like, subsidized gasoline, so they have to take perpetual losses on a certain segment of the business. Not complex It's just, at all. it looks tempting. You look at it and go, my God, it's, it's got a price to earnings valuation of five right now. That's yeah. like what a dead company and with all this potential, but there are just so many screwy, wacky things that go on with this company. It just, it seems toxic. It seems toxic. That's why, very well put. Okay, that's about it for our time here. But before we go, let's make a wildly unjustifiable prediction. What is the price of oil today, or a week from today? How about that? Next oh. Wednesday, when we get together again, what do you got? At least 200. Hey, easy, yeah. obviously, with I'll that go. Christmas tree of death. Yeah. I'll, go with, yeah. I'll go with five cents. Five cents? We're just gonna go ridiculous. Dramatically <laughs> different points of view here. I like it. Yeah. We're gonna find Somewhere out in the week. middle, there's gonna be a price that works. There you go, <laughs> and that's what matters. All right, Nate Wallingsford, Tyler Crow, guys, thanks for being here. I'm Mark Reith, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.